The Mystery of Minnie by George F. Watts. When I first encountered Minnie, she had been dead 10 years. Tracy Garrett simply would not permit her to stay dead. So, in the most amazing way, she remained alive, a power in the community. Garrett was the Mr. Fixit of a village in which I lived for two years. His shop window housed a dust-covered collection of old clocks, bearings, gears and other odds and ends. He sharpened lawnmowers, repaired bicycles, did odd jobs of carpentering and plumbing. He was a wiry man of 55 with gnarled red hands, eyes as bright as a fox's and a stoop resulting from his years over workbenches. There was an air of secret merriment about him, not quite in keeping with the legend of his grief at the death of a woman he had loved so devotedly over the twenty years of their childless marriage. He lived alone in a cottage whose garden was an extension of his junk-filled shop. A sort of pasture into which once hard-working machines had been turned loose to rust out their lives in peace. After I had lived in the village a while, I began to hear about Minnie's mysterious doings. The first story I put together by picking up scraps here and there was that of Miss Anastasia Peabody, the village librarian. Miss Anastasia was a plain-looking maiden lady of unknown vintage who had a hopeless passion for Henry Iverson, the school headmaster, a handsome and, it seemed, woman-proof bachelor. One day Miss Anastasia disappeared. Three months later she came home, miraculously transformed. Her severe, brushed-back-into-a-bun hairdo was now a frivolous dark frame which softened her plain but appealing face. She wore fashionable clothes which set off her slim figure. Within a few weeks she and Henry Iverson were married. This dramatic event was partly explained by my neighbour, Mrs. Bell Fogarty. Anastasia went to New York and took one of those how-to-be-beautiful courses, and anybody with a grain of sense knows that Minnie was behind it. Minnie Garrett, I asked. Who else? It must have cost a lot of money, and it's going to take Anastasia a good long spell to get Minnie out of hock. Out of hock, I asked. But at this evidence of a newcomer's prying curiosity... Mrs. Fogarty retreated into New England reticence. My determination to solve the mystery of Minnie led me to talk with other local people, and I collected a wealth of stories touching on many lives. It was an enriching experience, but it left me completely in the dark as to how Minnie performed her wonders. Each was a story of someone who had got into some trouble that a moderate amount of money would cure, and each ended on the same bizarre note— Minnie is in hock again. One night in the chemist, I overheard a young man say to the pharmacist, Yes, it's all fixed. I'm going to be able to finish my last year. Thanks to Minnie. After he had gone, I asked the pharmacist about it. He was talkative, up to a point. He said the boy was majoring in chemistry at Cornell University, but had had to drop out a few days previously because his father had suffered a financial setback. Soon I discovered that Minnie was always put in hock for a sum of less than $1,000 by someone whom the village trusted and approved. She was used as collateral until the loan was paid off. About seven months after my arrival in that warm-hearted community, I began having troubles of my own. Everything went wrong. My work, writing fiction, had gone sour. 
money I had counted on didn't come in. Then I was told that my daughter had to have an expensive operation. Any relatives or old friends who might have come to my rescue were out of reach. One night I didn't sleep at all. Next morning when I went to the kitchen to make some coffee, Tracy Garrett was there, at work on the sink. The drain had never worked properly and he often had to tinker with it, but I didn't recall speaking to him about it recently. He worked silently and solemnly. Finally, he said, Well, I guess that'll hold her a while. Then he looked at me and said, Understand you've been having a little trouble. So he had heard about it. I was feeling a little bitter, but I also felt the need of talking it out with someone. Garrett listened attentively. Looks like all you really need is a lift for a while till things start coming your way again, he said. That, I assured him, was summing things up neatly. Then it's time you met Minnie, he said decisively. I couldn't repress a slight shiver, and I couldn't help glancing out of the back door at his battered old delivery van. There was a big wooden crate in it. I was prepared for anything, but all that happened was that Mr Garrett took a worn pocketbook out of his hip pocket and slowly removed a tired-looking $1,000 bill. Roughly printed on it in large red crayon letters was Minnie. All you do, said Garrett, is take Minnie to the bank and put her up for collateral for any amount up to $1,000. You pay the bank their regular rate of interest and pay the loan off when you can. Then Minnie comes back to me. Garrett's eyes sparkled. You've been trying for months to find out who Minnie is and how she came to be. Now, if you want to hear the story, I'll tell you. Minnie is named after my wife, he continued. She was the finest woman that ever lived. The day she died, Minnie said to me, Tracy, I've been thinking that it doesn't matter overmuch to God whether or not I have an expensive funeral or an impressive monument. He doesn't set much in store by pomp and show. So I want you to give me the cheapest burial you can with a plain little headstone on the grave. Then I want you to take what money is left and buy a new $1,000 bill. And that, he said, is how the mini you've got there in your hand came to be. My wife loved this village, and she wanted to keep on helping people who deserved and needed helping after she was gone. Garrett paused a moment and then continued. Minnie's helped people get married and helped babies get born. She's paid grocer's bills and helped educate boys and girls, and she's sometimes saved their businesses after they've gone out in the world. She's kept people from worrying themselves ill. You'd be surprised by how many times Minnie's been in hock. And now, he concluded brusquely, you trot down to the bank and borrow what you need and stop worrying. I began to understand why the town folk had been so secretive. They didn't know whether I could be trusted with a secret so precious. Now I knew I had been accepted as someone Minnie could trust, and I was humbly grateful. In due course, I paid off the note and returned Minnie to her guardian. A week later, she was in hock again, quietly at work for young Harry Tompkins, whose bulldozer had been threatened with attachment, and the budding Tompkins Construction Company was saved. A little while later, Minnie fell, for the first time, into the kind of hands the village had been fearing. The man seemed honest and trustworthy. His business got into legitimate trouble and he needed $500 in a hurry. He borrowed Minnie from Garrett and left town. 
the way the village behaved, you would have thought its most beloved citizen had been kidnapped. Police gathered at street corners and discussed the tragedy in hushed voices. A month went by. Another month. Then one day Tracy Garrett received a registered letter from a distant city. Inside the envelope was Minnie. Not a word of apology or explanation. But Minnie was home again, and in hardly more time than it takes to tell, she was in hock again. I moved away soon after that. I don't know if Tracy Garrett is still alive or if Minnie is still in circulation, but I'm inclined to believe she is. Minnie strikes me as the kind of woman who goes on forever. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price. Thank you.